I thought it was important to really share, share with you briefly about uh, where we are in our worship culture. Uh, one of the things as a leader, the challenge as, as, of a leadership right now is unity. And, uh, and that is my heart and that is my hope for us is that we would be unified as a body. And the Lord loves unity, doesn't he? In Psalm 133, it says, how good and pleasant it is. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then we, uh, and then Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And when I read that verse, I said, never assume unity. It's hard. It takes effort. It takes work to be unified. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time here before the sermon, talk about sort of to get us all on the same page, get us all rowing in the same direction about worship. We have been doing a lot of work as your leaders about worship. And today we are beginning a new worship culture. And I call it the JC worship culture. Yes, the JC worship culture. And that is what we're going to build here, where Jesus Christ is the focus. He is everything he is the purpose of why we are here. And so I give you the challenge. If you don't walk out of here every Sunday, hearing the name Jesus about who he is, about what he can do, living Jesus every day, then we have missed the boat. We want him to be the focus of everything. And secondly, we want the JC culture to be joyful connections that we actually want joy to be in this place, to, to, to make a connection with Christ and to make connection with each other. I, I read recently, it says that people are not just looking for a friendly church, they're looking for a friend to make. I love what C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. And if uh, we are to be, the church is to be an exhibition of the kingdom of heaven, that when people come and see us, that, that they're getting, supposed to get a taste of what heaven is all about. And Lewis says, it should be joyful. That you should be the sense of joy. I mean, Paul says it again in Ephesians 5. He says, right, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the verse for our worship here, is that we want to we want to honor what God has done. So, so we're going to sing psalms and we're going to sing hymns and, and then we're going to realize, that, hey, here is how God has worked in the past and, and this is how we have, we're not going to ignore the past, but we're also going to realize, hey, God's working now. God's alive now. So we're going to sing spiritual songs and we're going to sing new songs that God is writing now and that we're going to encourage each other. Why? Because we are, we are in the season that we need each other. And then we're going to submit to each other that we're going to not practice preference. This is what I want, but we're going to practice deference and that, and that we're going to be that community. And so here's, here's some things. I want you to be joyful. I want, you, I want you to be full of joy. When you're in worship, I want you to be full of joy. I want you to be here early. I, I, I know we, we, like, we like to arrive at a worship that's a little bit later, but I want you to be here early. I, I, want, you, I want you to sing. You know, 
Uh, I want you to try to sing. I want you to be engaged. Uh, I want you to be expressive. I, I want you to, to say, you know what? Yeah. I, I want you to, to talk. I, I want you to, before moving on to lunch, I want you to talk. I want you to love on each other. I want you to connect with each other. Sometimes, you know, the challenge of pastors, I said, oh, I wish I could get you and you because you have the same story. and you can, you can link arms and really be with each other. But lastly, I want you to be a leader. See, I, I believe leadership is not positional. I mean, I have, the, I have the position of leader, right? I mean, that's what I have, right? I'm in a position of senior pastor, lead pastor. But I, I've realized that sometimes you may have a position of leadership, but you may not be the leader. See, leadership is influence. And so you can influence, and you have great influence wherever you are. Just be, You might have the position of leadership. You are a leader. And those around you, you can be influencing toward Christ. And God has made place someone right next to you today because they need to see and experience joy. So join me in prayer. Gracious God, as we, as we gather here today, I know, man, there's a lot of information's come out. And I pray, God, that you just quiet our hearts. Lord, there are many things, many things that want our attention right now. There are many things, Lord, that are grabbing for our attention. I pray that you just quiet and protect and speak through me, but more importantly, through your word. That you would feed us, Lord. That you would nourish and challenge and convict us and and comfort us and, and call us, Lord to multiply disciples, to, to live with Jesus every day. I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I pray, God, that he would be present here to the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are in the middle of, of walking through, slowly through the Gospel of John. Today, we are at the end of chapter 4 in the Gospel of John. And so today... I'll be reading, starting in verse 43, and read all the way to the end of the chapter, John 4, beginning in verse 43. And what we have in today's account is that, is that we have Jesus journeying to another area of Israel called Gal- Galilee, where it's just sort of where, where he hung out. It's sort of a place where he did his first miracle in Cana. He's coming back. Jesus drops down some hints about why he is coming to Galilee. And as he is there, this royal official from Capernaum travels all the way to where Jesus is, and he has this request. And Jesus grants his request to the point that that royal official, who doesn't even believe in Jesus, hasn't given his life to Jesus, believes and his whole household believes. And so here we are in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. After the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that the prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. 
And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. And when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and to heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and the whole household believed. This was a second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh my goodness, this... There's so much in this passage, and what we see here is that Jesus is the rejected one, and that Jesus is the exploited one, and that Jesus is the one who's to be worshipped and honored. And what we see here is that, as John puts together this, this passage, is that we see that, that, that not, not everyone will, will bow down and worship Jesus, especially those who should, those who know them, that Jesus will be rejected, that, that, th- that he will not be accepted, that God's gift to humanity will be rejected. And then there's, there's some who will exploit Jesus, who, who, who will just use Jesus for their own selfish game and, 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 to, and to sort of put forth and to progress their own self-identity and their self-worth and their own dreams. And then there will be some that you least expect who will honor him, who will respect him, who will worship him. Let's sort of look at that. Jesus says this, as as he is is leaving and going into Galilee, John puts in this paraphrase. He says, a prophet has no honor in his own country. This is repeated throughout the Gospels. Jesus says it to Nazareth. He, he is this, he's in his hometown. He's, he's with his own people. He's in his own synagogue. And after he reads from the, from the prophet Isaiah, he says, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in his hearing. And all of a sudden, all the folks say, whoa, wait a second. Isn't this Mary's kid? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the, the carpenter's son? Uh, 
then this Jesus who has sort of been raised with us? I mean, first of all, what this gospel writers tell us is that after Jesus says this, that people were amazed at his teaching. But then they began to come to their senses. Nah, he hasn't been schooled. He's young. He's raised by a carpenter. We know this guy. Like, like we, we, we did business with his father that, 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 that he, was, he was in our Sabbath school, right? And, and I'm his teacher, and we played Little League with him and T-ball, and we, and we saw him learn how to drive and all this stuff. And, and then now he says that he's the son of God? You know, the scandal of the gospel, of the gospel writer, is those who know Jesus the best, who should know Jesus the best, or who do know Jesus the best, think of him the least. I mean, think about, like, like those in Nazareth who, who have been with him for over 30 years, those, those who really know him, Think of him the least. Jesus says a, a prophet has no honor in his own country. We read in Isaiah 53 the messianic prophecy. The Messiah was despised and rejected by men. We read in, in John 1 that he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And goes on and says that he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. What we have here in this first part of this chapter, the this passage today is that we have the tragedy of human life. We have the ugliness of humanity. We have Jesus' anthropology. William Barclay says it says that the Christian faith is a revelation of God and a revelation of humanity. What we see here is in this revelation of, of who we really are as humans and that there is a sense of us where, where we don't want a Savior, that, that, that even though we, we, we may know everything about Jesus, there's a part of us that wants to reject his lordship, that, that wants to reject his presence, that to be honest with us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't want Jesus. And this is part of the gospel of this rejection of Christ. There's this, there's this man named Brent Bashore. He was an atheist and became a Christian. And, and was asked, hey, why did you denounce atheism? And why did you embrace the Christian faith? And he listed all these reasons. And number 10, it's, still, it's just really fascinating he said this, he said, when you combine the, the, the two core doctrines 
the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of human depravity, that we as humans are, are, are broken, are, 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 are not what God wants us to be. And, and then you, you put that aside, that we were created in the image of God and that, and that we, we can have a relationship with God and that there was something divine of, of why we were created. And you put these two together, which the Christian faith does. It holds these two doctrines. He said this, it explains to me and it predicts the world better than anything else. And that we were created to have a relationship with God. And we were, and, and, but yet, we're fallen and broken. And he said, of all the world's religions, the Christian faith makes sense of the world to me. What we'll see as we make our way to the Gospel of John is that this rejection of Jesus grows and increases and grows. There's an idiom that says this. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. See, this in marriages. You know, he's not really who I thought he was. I'm getting tired of this and that and or she's not really what I thought she would be. And, and as we're going older, you know, it's just the same old, same old, same old thing. What happens? Contempt. Now, I go to church, it's the same old thing over and over and over again. It's the same thing over and over again. The pastor tells me this and does this. And it's the same job over and over again. Every day is the same over and over again. What happens? Familiarity breeds contempt. It's all of a sudden, if we're not careful, our hearts become hard. We lose the awe and the wonder and the joy. It's no longer. Carrie Newhoff says this. He says, here's some early warning signs. You don't celebrate anymore. You don't cry. You stop caring. The meaningful, it's mechanical now. The passion, it's hard to come by. You no longer believe the best about people. I remember meeting with my friend Jeff in Houston. He said, you know this. He said, Brian, the one hurt I have about being in ministry is the longer I'm in ministry, the more I distrust people. I was like, oh, I shouldn't be that way. It should be that way, right? Now I stop believing in people. We protect our broken heart. I don't want to be hurt again. I want to realize that this is natural. 
It's common. I mean, take, for instance, the church in Ephesus. Jesus comes to them in Revelation chapter 2. It's an amazing church. He comes and he says, hey, you're doing great things. You're working hard. You're patient. You're discerning. You're testing. Man, you love the truth. You know the scriptures. I mean, you have a strong name of the Lord. But, in chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, but here is what I say against you. Here is the one thing I have against you. You do not love as you first loved me first. You do not love as you loved at first. Another translation said that you have fallen out of love with me. Familiarity breeds contempt. You've had the zeal for truth, but no love. You show up for the Bible studies, there's no love. You stood against evil, but there's no love. There's no passion. Man, you have led a public crusade for Christ in the city. But there's no love. There's seasons of dullness. Seasons of hardness. Seasons of not getting what I want, seasons of cold, of lukewarm, seasons of taking God for granted, seasons of feeling neglected, tired, needing rest, seasons of filling up our calendar with all the good things, yet missing the love of God. COVID has changed the church. COVID has changed us. It's changed our country, changed our world. I'm afraid to think how it's changed our generations. It's still changing us. And one of my failures as your leader is that I thought, wow, when we start having in-person services, everybody's going to come back and be like, man, it's so good to be back. Oh, I just can't wait to sing. Oh, I can't wait till the doors open. There's going to be a line out there. We're going to have traffic down there. Yes, this is hyperbole. That I was going to have, hey, Brian, can I come early? Hey, can I help set up chairs? I can't wait. I can't wait to hear what we're going to sing. And what I've realized is you're tired. And we're tired. And we want to do it. But we don't know how to do it. Because it's not there. I'm trying to go to the well, 
and it's just not there. That you're worn out and that we're back. And we're trying to be there. We know we need to be here. We know we're back, but our hearts have some work to do. And so I failed as your leader. And I look at this church in Ephesus, and Jesus is very clear. You're doing all these good things, but you're doing it out love. And the prescription was, just walk back to me. You know, it's like there's this fire here, right? That, that Jesus is this fire, and, and, we're, and, we're, and, we're, and we're right near him, and he's warming us, through, and, and, and we're getting warm. But slowly, what we've done is we sort of walked away from the fire, right? The point, I'm, I'm off camera, that's great. But you're off, and we're cold, and we're wondering, and we're, and we're praying. We're like, where is he? And, 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 and what we've done is we just survived. As, as, as one of our elders said this past week, all we did was we just circled the wagons, which is our natural. I'm just trying to figure out how do I make it through the day? How do I just make it through this day? How do I just, I, I got to figure out my, uh, my business now. I got to figure out my family and, and how I take care of my kids. And we're just sort of, we just circled the wagons. I'm like, hey, we gotta go. And I realize, hey, we're just trying to circle the wagon. I'm just trying to make it. Like, I'm just, it's just done enough for me just to get here or turn on line. Oh, Jesus is saying, but I want you to walk back to me. Come back to the fire. And some will and some won't. I realize we're all in a different place. But he's begging, come back. Paul tells the church in Philippines to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And fear is like, ah, fear is awe and wonder. And so we see Jesus saying, hey, I'm leaving where I am because a prophet has no honor and in his hometown, and he's, and he's saying, so we have this, this, this thread of rejection. And then Jesus comes into Galilee, and they're like, yes, and they welcome him. I'm like, here's the guy. We were there at Passover when Jesus came and turned the tables upside down, and we saw all these miracles he did. He just, oh, my goodness, he's coming to us. The miracle worker is coming. The one who, who came and flipped the, tip, flipped the tables in the temple and is driving out. Oh, my goodness. The one who's zealed for the Lord. Oh, he's coming to us. And everyone's so excited. And Jesus. And as, as they're welcoming him, there's this royal official comes. And, and he comes and he, and he begs Jesus, hey, I need you to come back to Capernaum with me. My son is sick. I need you to come back. And I wrote in my journal, this is what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm coming. No, this is what Jesus says. Unless you people 
see signs and wonders you will never believe. I wrote, ouch! Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And we have this buildup, right? I mean, Jesus turns the water in the wine that he's the new wine. And then Jesus is in the temple and he, and he says, I am the new temple, right? And then Jesus meets the woman at the well and he, he says, I am the new well. And he's back in this area. I was like, oh, Jesus, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. I can't wait to see what miracles he's going to perform. And then here's this royal official. Everyone's, oh, ready. I can't wait. I can't wait to see him. He's going to heal. And all of a sudden, Jesus gives us indictment, this judgment. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And I wrote down, oh, my goodness. Ouch. I said, well, what is going on here? And Jesus is saying how many times we want to exploit him. That we want to use him, right? I want to get that job. So, so, so here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start praying because that's what I want. And so, but then I don't get it, so I get mad at him. Or, you know, what? I'm going to build this relationship with Jesus because I want him to do all these things for me so that I can be elevated. See, my relationship is all about me of what I want in my life and what I want to get. And so when Jesus doesn't deliver, we say, hey, well, he's not really for me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't know me. Jesus, be careful of using me, of exploiting me, of, of exploiting your selfish game in my name. Yes, we know the scripture, right? You pray for anything in my name and I will give it to you. Ask and seek and knock. But there's a clause in there. It says, in my name, for my sake, for my glory. And the prayer is not, God, this is what I want, is that may your will for my life May your desire for my life, may everything that you want for my life be glorified. And that is tough because it may not be what I want. Jesus says, hey, be careful. I haven't come here to be exploited. I'm not just circus worker. And so then we have this royal official. Jesus now turns to him. And this is what he says. Go. Go. Your son will live. So John tells us that the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living and when he inquired at the time, when the son got well, they said, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized that that was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. In this passage, we, we have Jesus being rejected. 
And then Jesus being exploited. And now we have Jesus, who's a living word for living every day. That we can reject him. Well, we can start to believe, but be careful, you may exploit him. But the rightful response of Jesus is to humbly honor him. That he's the living word for living every day. A lot of things we don't have in this passage. One of them is, was this man walking back wondering, is he really going to heal my son? Is he really going to do it? Or am I going to show up and my son's going to be dead? Maybe I need, maybe I need to turn back and I need to say, give me something, give me something to hold on to. This royal official, there's this man of great authority, submits himself to the authority of Christ and his word. And the way back from a hardened heart is to trust Jesus with his word. The way back from a, a hardened heart is to trust Jesus with his word. He's not just the promise maker, he is the promise keeper. When he says he will not abandon you, he will not abandon you. When he said he will not forsake you, he will not forsake you. When he says that he knows every hair on some of your heads, that still some of you still have hair, he knows you. He knows that you're worrying about your son who is ill. He knows that you're worrying about your business and how you're going to make it in this new economy. He, he knows he's, he's worried. He knows your worries. But said, in the midst of that, I still want you to love your enemies and pray for them. I still want you to love my Father with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I think some of us are so worrying if Jesus is really going to do what he said he's going to do. Paul writes this, says, do not worry about anything. Talk to God about everything. Thank him for what you have. Ask him for what you need. Then God will give you peace. A peace which is too wonderful to understand. That peace will keep your hearts and your minds safe as you trust in Christ Jesus. I wonder if that man was walking in peace. I gave my burden to Jesus. And he knows it. And he said he's going to live. So I'm going to walk in that peace. Jesus says, peace is what I leave you. I give you my own peace. Peace of the world also says peace to you, but I do not say as they say. Do not let anything trouble your hearts. 
Do not be afraid. The gift of today is peace. Not worry, not doubt, not fear. It's peace. And today, he wants to give that gift to you. Jesus says, I give you peace. He's ready to offer that peace to you right now. He has it. He hears it. He's going to take care of it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, this morning we were praying how it's easy for our hearts to wonder from you, to just take one little step, but you give us peace. You give us peace that's beyond all understanding. The peace of Christ is is to guard our hearts, our hearts that, that are are empty and, and, and dry and, and, and that we're trying to, to regather and we're trying to reconnect. And God, we just want to know that you are hearing our cries. We want to know that you are with us, that we're not on this journey alone and that you are with us and that you are near. And so God, will you make that clear to us now? Lord, will, will you let us know that you haven't forgotten about us? Maybe that there is something in our lives that, Lord, that, that, we, just, that we haven't brought to you, that, that we're trying to control. Maybe right now is the moment to release it to you. What's fascinating about this passage is that you didn't have to go with that man to Capernaum. You just said the word. And at that moment... It was done. (sighs) Restore us to our first love. Revive us. It's been hard coming back. It still is, Lord. We're trying to sing, but boy, it's just the life behind it's not there, but you're so good to us. Like that good shepherd, Lord, you care for us, you provide us, and you lead us. And so, God, may we not leave here today in fear, but in peace. We don't know what tomorrow has in store, but we do know one thing, that you'll give us peace. You got it. You got all this, Lord. You are sovereign, and you are mighty. And yeah, I want to go a certain way, and I want to look a certain way, but... That's not, that's, that's Brian's name. That's not Jesus' name. And so we believe, but help our unbelief. Maybe there's some areas of our life, Lord, where we're rejecting you. Where we're saying, I don't want you in that area. I don't want you to come and, and look at my money. I don't want you to come and, and, and look at my, my web searching history. I, I don't want you coming to work. I don't want you coming into my relationships because I, I, I don't want you to mess with that. I don't want you to meddle with that. You say, okay. But if you want peace, 
You have to give it to me. And you still work miracles. But keep us from coming to you. Trying to expect. But just walk in faith, knowing that you will work a miracle. And we still pray for that. That you will revive us and you will renew us. And that you will rescue. That you will heal. You will take care of. And so just let us rest in peace. You're here to give that gift today. And all we have to do is ask for it. So ask for it. Jesus, bring me peace. Give me peace. You're the living word for me to live every day. Oh, you are absolutely amazing. And your grace is truly amazing that you would save us and rescue us. So Lord, be with us now as we sing this powerful hymn. A song, oh Lord, that we have sung by ourselves and we have sung through generation, generation, and maybe today we'll sing it for the first time that you saved a wretch like me. And for that, we love you. And we walk in awe and wonder of who you are. Restore us to to you and to each other. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.